0: the naked
1: scientist
2: it's 24 minutes to uh, three o'clock one of my favorite times of the week because you never know what you're gonna get you know as Forrest gump says in that film uh life is like a box of chocolates because you never know what you're gonna get well guess what this time with the naked scientist is just like that (laughs) good afternoon chris how are you (laughs) makes two
1: of us doesn't it neither of us know what the (laughs) other's gonna gonna serve up no i'm good how are you
2: I'm well, but the pressure's all on you because you've got to serve up something good with your answers.
1: I never, never failed to, to do that, surely.
2: <laughs> no, you never. You never. And I think that's why, what we marvel at every single week. Uh, we already have your calls lined up, Chris. Uh, quite a few of our listeners ready to post their questions to you. Mtunzi is first up, calling us all the way from Margate in KZN. Hello, Mtunzi.
0: Hi, Dr. Smith. Hello. Yeah, um, my question is very simple. I guess the answer is rather complicated. <laughs> okay. um, it, it, it's a simple matter of this. We, we have theories on, on all kinds of theories on how to travel faster than the speed of light. Of course, we don't really have the, the math right or whatever. But I was just wondering, how would we manage to actually see faster? In other words, we can every time we see something that is light years away, we are seeing it in its path, so to speak. So how would we first be able to see faster before we even know how to actually get there? So how would we solve that problem first and are there any theories around that?
1: Well the things which we look at when we're seeing something in the way you're describing, and you're quite right, if we look deep into space we can see light which is coming to us from across the vastness of the universe and that light uh, has been traveling in some cases for billions of years. We can see back almost to the start of the universe, not quite to the beginning for various reasons, but we can see back billions of years. And the reason we can see back in time in that way is because light has this speed limit. It doesn't go more than 300,000 kilometers per second. And so there's therefore a speed limit on how fast the light can travel through space towards us and it takes time for light from very distant parts of the universe to reach us. Therefore, that time delay corresponds to the distance between us and that far object and it's perfectly conceivable that you're looking at light corresponding to something that no longer exists where that light came from because the light's taken so long to get to us. So if we're making observations using light, then... The observations we make can only be made at the rate at which light reaches us. So if you watch something, the light from that object that you're watching is going to come to you at the speed of light, and you can't do anything about that. And uh, therefore, it's a, a tricky one to solve because... If you're going to use any kind of measuring device, whether that's light we can see, light we can't see, like radio waves or even x-rays, or even gravitational waves, they all travel at the speed of light for various reasons, and therefore you're constrained by how you're going to measure something moving. But it's for those reasons that we believe that, uh, because of the, the rules of physics, that you can't go faster than the speed of light. And the simplest way of explaining this is E equals mc squared. E is energy. M is mass, and C is the speed of light. And if you increase C, the speed must. of C goes up. That means the energy goes up. And if the energy goes up, the mass must go up. So as you go faster, you get heavier... If you get heavier, you need more energy. So you need an infinite amount of energy to make yourself go faster and faster and faster until in the end you can't go any faster because you need infinite energy, and that's the speed limit. So this is why we believe that you can't actually break the speed of light as a speed limit, but what you might be able to do is to find ways to shortcut the process, and that's why people talk about the concept of a wormhole, where you take bits of space and you warp space Mm -hmm. and bend one bit Mm -hmm. of space to meet another bit of space, and that means that you make the distance that you're travelling relatively shorter so it gives the impression you're going faster than light but what you've done is to take a shortcut so it takes less time to get there
0: yeah uh is, it, uh, is there a time for follow-up question
2: yeah go ahead quickly that?
0: yeah go ahead and okay, cool so we we took a photo of a black hole last year using some very complicated means um is, is there is there a means then of peeking through that of i mean obviously that's now interstellar space but but is there a means of 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 i don't know ever ever peeking through that and is it a case of when we discover how to travel there or let's say use wormholes or whatever it is that we'll probably simultaneously discover how to see things faster or however how would it work
1: when you say we took a picture of a black hole, th- th- this was very striking, wasn't it? The, the image that was circulated last year, but that wasn't actually the black hole. What you were seeing was the absence of light coming from a patch of space yes. which corresponds to where the event horizon of the black hole is, the event horizon right. being the point of no return. The black hole mm. is a warping of space to, su- to such an extent that not even a light wave Can get out of it which is why it looks black because it's not giving out light from beyond that event horizon so it looks black so with our present ways of measuring things given that we're looking at light and we're looking at gravitational waves The light can't get out but gravitational waves are one product of massive objects doing things in space because they warp the fabric of space and that's why the discovery of gravitational waves and the fact that we can measure them is so important because it gives us a new regime with which to interrogate massive objects like black holes and black holes engulfing other objects, interacting with other objects because written into those gravitational waves is subtle information about the thing that made them and that's how we can learn in a new way about some of these distant entities that previously have been very difficult to study. Fantastic.
2: Hmm. Mtunzi, thank you for getting us started. And I think maybe you carry on the conversation with the Naked Scientist on the handle. Um, it's at Naked Scientists, plural, on Twitter, if more questions arise. Thank
0: you very much, guys.
2: Thank you. That's Mtunzi and Maggie. Alistair, thanks for your time as well. Uh, you've got a question for Chris. Hi, Azania
0: and Dr. Chris. and yeah. um, two-part sensory question Mm. uh, tears tears we create them to clear and clean our eyes but why do we cry as they have no reason to form it's like at a funeral or watching a movie you know or even when liverpool win the league every 30 (laughs) years
1: or or if you're not a liverpool fan when liverpool win the league (laughs) (laughs) Man united yeah forever. yeah yeah man united quite well the, the reason the reason for tears okay they're a very visible manifestation of emotion, and humans are very visual species, more than a third of our brain substance is devoted to just what goes in through our eyes. we devote a huge amount of neurological processing to vision, and the equivalent if you look at a dog's brain, a third of a dog's brain is devoted to smell we are the visual equivalent. So we put enormous precedence on vision. We have enormous amounts of neurological territory devoted to decoding vision, and therefore we have evolved, because we're a social species, at giving information visually. When we're angry, we become very red in the face. We puff ourselves up, tense all our muscles, and snarl at each other. We also, when we're very happy, smile. We change the colour of our skin in subtle ways to give away these emotions. We also cry and tears can can signal an extreme of emotion so it's almost like your body, your vision reads the facial affect of a person and says, right, okay, I think I know what mood they're in and then tears add a bit more on top to say I'm in this much of a mood and this is the evidence for it so it's another non-verbal cue to what we're trying to communicate to each other and the extreme to which our emotions are running at the time and it's just because we're such a, a visual and social species that we do that
0: that's a brilliant answer. But, okay, so then the second part of the sensory question.
2: Hmm.
0: Can you hear me?
3: Yes, is,
2: go ahead, Alistair.
3: Is it, is it only me, but when I watch
0: scenes from a movie of um, heights, like on the edge of a ledge yeah. or those guys climbing cliff faces without safety lines, the soles of my feet start to tingle <laughs> like a nerve feeling.
3: Does that
1: happen to everyone? Um, (laughs) I know what you mean. And the reason that that happens, again, to humans is because we have a population of nerve cells in our brains called mirror neurons. And the reason we are so successful socially is because we have the ability cognitively to put ourselves in other people's shoes. In other words, when you see something happening to somebody else, you take their experience, you map it onto your own brain, and you almost recreate the mental image of them in your head which enables you to then experience how you would feel if you were in their position right. and different people respond to that in different ways i mean there was it sounds a bit crude but there was someone i won't say her name but she used to work for eyewitness news and she told me that when she gets a certain emotions that she gets a funny feeling in a private part of her body and uh, and and we were all laughing about it but i said no i've got this funny thing where actually if i pinch the side of my body roughly to the to the side of my my sort of thorax my trunk uh, on the sides mm-hmm. if i pinch there i feel that in my elbows and it's it's a cross wiring in the nervous system that does that in that case but i think in your case basically when you mirror the experience anticipated emotions of those other people yeah. your nervous reflex your nerve reaction being mapped onto your nervous system is is that sensation and we all have these sorts of sensations because of our ability to put ourselves in a third party's shoes. Ah,
2: oh, Alistair, well, that lovely that
3: questions. Sounds, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a Reedy, clobby um, <laughs>
2: sensation.
1: <laughs> it wasn't Reedy. No, it definitely wasn't Reedy. It was not, it, it was I promise it wasn't Reedy. Reedy. Reedy would have told me, I'm sure, because Reedy was very yeah. honest like that. No, this was, <laughs> this was somebody else who uh, who is actually um, a news editor. Put it that way.
2: Oh what? my goodness, okay. Chris. Stay with me. Bye. Go away, Alistair. Go away. Let's take a break on that note. <laughs>
0: 702, The Naked Scientist.
2: It's 11 minutes to uh, three o'clock. Gosh, we've got quite a few to get through. So let's go straight back to the lines. Roy, hello. Hi, Zania. Hi, Hi, Roy. Just, how are you guys? We're good, thanks. What's on your mind this afternoon?
3: So I'm wanting to find out how much further away is Mars from the sun than the earth.
1: Okay. hi Roy um, it's nine months uh, if, you, if you're going on a space probe I need to look up the exact distance because I don't know that okay. I'm afraid but yes the, the shortest distance to Mars if we take off when Earth and Mars are in the same parts of the solar system because remember they're going on a big orbit around the sun but they're not going around at the same time as each other so Earth is moving at a slightly different rate to Mars so at some points they're very close and other points mm. they're on the opposite side of the sun from each other so the distances between the two planets again to vary enormously but if we arrange a time when the earth and the and mars are at their closest and you launch your space probe to mars it takes about nine months of of, of space to get to mars i'll tell you what i'll do i'll find out next week what the actual physical distances are okay. at those different points for you
2: all right roy there you go uh make sure you listen next week for the answer okay thank you and then let's go to jim in Randburg. jim yes sir. hi hi
0: hi Hi, my question is coming, Chris, as a scientist, do you believe there's sufficient rational evidence for a safety ban on cigarettes during these COVID times? Because actually, surely the amazing thing is that smokers are statistically doing better.
1: Um, that you sound like a very frustrated person who's not been allowed to have their cigarette ration <laughs> and I am and sorry if, you, if you're in that situation. Uh, look, the situation is this, that uh, South Africa did put in place this ban on cigarettes and it's certainly true that people who have a bad chest to start with are at high risk of having a bad outcome with coronavirus and smoking can cause a bad chest. Smoking also means that you don't live as long. So, the people who are most at risk from COVID nineteen are the elderly. And one cynic said to me that uh, smokers don't live long enough to be sufficiently old to get bad coronavirus infection, and that's why they're getting away with it because they've already died of other things. I mean, that, there mm. might be a grain of truth in that. It sounds flippant, but there may be a grain of truth in that. Where the the whole kind of business comes into it gets interesting. France actually reported apparent association between use of nicotine replacement therapies like patches and (laughs) sprays and so on and a reduction in infection rates and there's a suggestion that nicotine might reduce the expression on certain cells and tissues of the receptor that the virus uses to get in to those cells it might be that that's the case on the other hand smoking increases the amount of the expression of that receptor. So it might be that there's a balancing act going on between smoking, making it more likely you'll get infected... And nicotine making it less likely you'll get infected. And some people are sort of doing a bit better, some a bit worse. But this is very preliminary. I haven't seen proper peer-reviewed published evidence about that. At the moment, I think actually, I mean, I'm a doctor. I'm a non-smoker. So, you know, I'm biased. And I do feel for people who, who are smokers and now feel that their rights are being eroded. You know, if people want to smoke, as far as I'm concerned, that is up to them. But I do think this is an opportunity for people to try to kick the habit and sometimes something like this can help them because 75% of smokers say they want to quit, and most of them have tried many times and failed because it's incredibly hard to do, although Mark Twain once said, giving up smoking's easy, I've done it hundreds of times.
2: Yeah, Jim, there you go. Thank you for that one as this issue continues to rage in South Africa with uh, no clear end petitions and uh, just a tweet from someone wanting to bombard a comment or opinion line that asked a question about smoking. And so that frustration certainly being felt by South African smokers. Let's go to uh, Steve in Edenvale. Hello, Steve. Hi. I just wanted to find out all over the world these days, you find these huge electrical
0: wind farms with the big uh, turbine fans. Yeah. And they're spread all over a a large area. Why don't they bring them all together closer and save a lot of ground?
1: Yeah, Mm. hi Steve. There is a good reason for this and this is that there is an optimum separation for them in terms of both how you erect them, how you maintain them so you've got safe distances so you can get to them and maintain them and also because of modelling the airflow around them because the turbine is extracting energy from the passing air and therefore it will create an energy shadow behind itself and if you put a bunch of turbines right in line one behind the other, the one at the front will see all the wind and extract loads of energy from it the one behind less less and less and less and so on and so the efficiency would drop away so you have to position them optimally to engage with the most wind to mean that uh, they can therefore make their energy the most effectively use the least footprint the least destructively that they can and be sufficiently spaced so they're they're safe to to maintain and control so those are all the factors that play a part the good thing about wind turbines is that they have very little environmental impact apart from the noise pollution that they make, because when you take them away, there's just the platform, which is a concrete base that they were bolted to as their foundation. Nothing else, no Mm -hmm. other impact. Very easy to remove everything. It's not like a nuclear power station that's going to be there for 100,000 years or a coal-fired power station that will put CO2 into the atmosphere that will be there for thousands of years.
2: Mm. mm. So I would rather have that in fact a, that that hum and that the sound that they make rather than uh, one of the others as you've just described there. So, uh, interesting question Steve, love it. Thank you for. Thank you. He's calling from Edenvale. Let's go to Foy's next. It's Akani. That's where we find you today. Hi.
3: Hi, Aza, and uh, to you also, Dr. Chris. So I have a dilemma. My dad has been discharged after spending time at, um, hospital, in hospital for three weeks with COVID, and we thank God that is out of it. But um, to my surprise right now, I just asked my daughter to, you know, call the hospital to find out what are they, you know, um, what are the risks, and, you know, they're off and... Uh, how we should go about it, you know, when as we are taking him back home, yeah. and if at all he has tested negative. So the nurse, obviously, the doctor didn't speak to us. We understand that they might be overwhelmed about the whole thing, you know. Obviously, uh, many people are getting admitted, so he's not able to co- to communicate Mm-mm. or to talk to us. But my daughter just found out that you no, know, he is still positive, and uh, so we don't know. As only, well. I mean. Much as, as much as we're happy that it's coming back.
2: How much of a risk what, is it? Okay. What are, what yeah. are
3: the risks? How powerful is it? It's been three weeks. Yeah. Is it? Uh, you know, I'm, or
2: just you know. Yeah, so no, constantly. it's an interesting question yeah. you raised, Agani, because even uh, I think about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, there mm. was that issue that if your symptoms, if if your symptoms are over and you're feeling mm. that your health is improved, you can even return to work, for instance. And employees have had to make their own decisions around that. Do you wait for employees to test negative, or is it about uh, health returning, even though the person is still testing positive? So, Chris, what is what is the understanding there? How much of a Uh, risk does the father pose? Do we have to wait for a negative uh, test? So,
1: you've actually Mm -hmm. hit the nail on the head with one of the most pertinent questions we're all asking at the moment. The tests that we're using to diagnose coronavirus infection are excruciatingly sensitive. They will detect as few as... Eight copies of the virus genetic information in a sample and what they can't discriminate or distinguish between is virus that's viable and capable of causing disease in another person and pieces or shrapnel fragments of the virus left over after the immune system has demolished it and what we realise is that although we can continue to test people positive for an extended period of time in some cases, they're probably not infectious. You're at your peak of infection just before you get symptoms and probably for about a week after you become ill. And then because of the immune response, the amount of virus that's viable in your body plummets and if you have very low levels of virus, you're not going to pass that on to anybody. So you're not going to be a risk to anybody. But because the tests are so sensitive, it's very likely they're going to continue to find traces of the virus for quite some time. We're actually doing an experiment at Cambridge University at the moment where we've got samples taken from people who've had coronavirus infection. And we've tested them at various time points afterwards to to, to Gather virus and we're going to do an experiment to see if the virus is viable in other words if it it can infect cells in a dish proving that those people have viable virus or not at various points and we're setting that up at the moment but it's an open question at the moment we don't know the answer and it's a very good question but you should be reassured Mm. if he's recovered a i'm delighted Mm. to hear he's better and congratulations Mm. welcome home b the likelihood of him actually being a threat to any of you lot now is extremely remote
2: OK. Oh. Okay. Thank you, Zagani. Thank you for Thank raising that very important question. We're we out of time. And someone reminding me, Quincy, saying, don't forget your question around whether we can smell in space. <laughs> I've got to take ads in the headlines. Uh, are we quick yes or no, and then we'll elaborate next Monday. Chris?
1: Well, it depends. If you're in the space station, of course, you can smell because that's okay. an atmosphere. But if you're in space, space is yes. nearly a vacuum. So, no, you can't.
2: Ah, there we go. Thank you for the reminder, Quincy. As always, wonderful session with you, Chris. Looking forward to next Monday.
1: Thanks, Hazza. See you soon, everyone. Bye-bye. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities.